And within 24 hours, 100 people joined my meetup community. And I'm like, oh, shit, this has to be legit now. Like, I can't host this in my bedroom. You're listening to Create Community, and I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Reagan Bradley. Reagan is the founder of Women Who Weed, which is a community that connects and empowers pro-cannabis women to use cannabis for mental, physical, and social wellness. Prior to this, Reagan was a community manager at Fall for Local and hosted Local Talks, a monthly speaker series that created conversations and cultivated connections for creative entrepreneurs. Reagan is also a personal brand strategist who helps entrepreneurs communicate themselves more effectively online. In this episode, we chat about how Reagan is building Women Who Weed, her personal community in Ottawa, and how to leverage your personal brand to build a magnetic community. Let's jump right into it. Reagan, thank you so much for joining me today on the Create Community podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited for our conversation. Yeah, I'm super excited to nerd out on community. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Building ex- with you right it's now. It's exciting. So I think it's really interesting how people actually become community builders. I don't think anybody sets out to be a community builder growing up, especially. It's such a new field. So what was your upbringing and childhood like? How did you grow up and become the person that you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I am definitely, I would call myself like a joiner. I'm always joining different things and that has been consistent across my entire life. So when I was young, I was in clubs. When I was in high school, I was in student council and that kind of carried with me to university when I joined a sorority. I'm just a joiner and any opportunity that I really have to meet new people and kind of shake hands is something that you'll find me doing. So in university, what was it that you studied? What was your passion at the time? Yeah, I studied communication studies, but I had quickly realized that I wasn't getting the education that I needed to apply for a real job outside of school. That really amplified the joining. Instead of just being a part of community, I started volunteering within communities. And through that experience, I kind of learned, okay, like what makes a community thrive? What's the beating heart of the community? And it's the people. So... I'm a people person and it's a part of me. That's very cool. I feel like my experience was kind of similar. Like before starting to build my community, I would really try to be part of others and like volunteer my time and just see how different events and communities kind of tick and what I like and don't like about them. I feel like I've always kind of noticed that and tried to kind of improve it. So it's really cool to see that we have that in common. Well, I also had read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, and he said that there's three different types of personality types that kind of create social influence. And those are the maven. So they are the maven is all about information. So they'll tell you with facts and statistics. Then you have the connector. So the connector is they see every opportunity being through people. So, oh, I know someone you should talk to. Oh, this person can help me out. That kind of individual. And then you have like the salesperson. So that's someone that kind of has an idea and then gets people to mobilize around it because of their charismatic personality. So I see myself as being like almost like a connector and a salesperson, which kind of is like led me to this path. 
That's really interesting. That's like, there's also that like personality test. And I was really, I forgot the name of it, but I know that. Myers-Briggs? Yeah, I think so. So I, I, mine ended up being the campaigner, which I was was like a little bit surprised about because I'm actually naturally like a little bit more introverted and quiet. But I think you do kind of almost have to have that personality to start a community. And even if you are maybe an introvert, still you have to be able to kind of like passionately communicate what your community is and what it's all about. So out of school, how did you actually start your career? What did some of your first like internships and first roles look like? So I had a job in university working for an entrepreneur and he was a business coach and I did all of his social media. So that was one side of what I was doing. But then I got an internship working for the government and I literally was in between two different parallel lives that people were living, right? I saw people going to government every day, treating it like a job, leaving as early as they could. And then on the other side, I was working part-time with this entrepreneur that couldn't stop himself from working. He was obsessed with what he was doing. So I'd realized pretty early on that I needed to find something that kind of fueled my passion, like it fueled his. And it was really good kind of getting that diversity of experience when you're so young, because for sure, entrepreneurship is scary. But when seeing it through like a mentor, it kind of seems almost more feasible. So that kind of like projected me into getting a job. I always kind of had a freelance kind of gig going on on the side. So when I graduated, I worked as a project manager, but I also got involved in community building and I led a speaker series called Local Talks for Entrepreneurs. And that's kind of where it all began. Yeah, that seems like that was your first sort of official role as a community manager. You got to host that speaker series, really like bring people together in sort of an official capacity for the first time. What were some of the key learnings that you had from that role? And is there something that you're like super proud of during that experience? I think that role was excellent for helping me get over my imposter syndrome as as a person. I learned obviously to host incredible events and that's a big part of it. But in order to grow where I am now, and I'm sure we'll talk to that, I had to get over the fact that like, I do belong in the front of this community. Like, even though I'm young, it doesn't mean that I can't do it. And getting that opportunity to build a community through someone else's business. So for Fall for Local, I got the tools that I needed to excel and then the rest was really on me. So that's my main takeaway is if you're wanting to build a community, maybe start by volunteering in somebody else's, see what you can learn from that, take on a leadership role, and then take what you learned and build your own thing. You're not committed to somebody else's vision. You could always do what you want. That's such a great way to get started because it takes away a lot of that risk and it just lets you focus on like what you're strong at and to really kind of develop yourself. And I think imposter syndrome, that's such a common theme with community builders. You're really like you're the person behind the scenes putting it all together and kind of like shaping this experience. And then all of a sudden you find yourself at the front of the room a lot of the time moderating this event or maybe public speaking uh, for the first time. So it's yeah, it's not easy to kind of get over that. I definitely had that experience myself where I was really sort of shy and nervous the first few times around and I really kind of doubted am I even the right person to be leading this but like there's nowhere to go but up yeah absolutely yeah like you're gonna improve and you're gonna get better and I think if it's something that you really want anybody could really do it so you had that official role as a community manager and now you're building your own community which is super exciting so what was it that inspired you to start Women Who Weed? And tell us a little bit more about what the community is. Yeah, absolutely. So Women Who Weed, I've been a longtime cannabis user since I can really remember since I was like 16. I think I smoked my first joint. <laughs> and 
I have always kind of felt a little bit of like a stigma around it, right? It was illegal. Like it yeah. was an illegal drug and doing it was wrong. And it was associated with a lot of really negative stereotypes, like being lazy, not being successful. But here I was working at an advertising agency, 12 hour days, going to the gym, like, you know, putting on makeup. Like I didn't feel like I identified with that stereotype, right? Not at all. Yeah. So once cannabis became legal, I had finished my community building role for Fall for Local and I wanted to join something else, see if something else already existed. And when I started looking online, I didn't find any communities, but even worse, I found like a lot of really negative discourse around women in cannabis. Specifically, I went into Reddit because I was like, okay, well, maybe there's nothing on Google yet because it just became legal. Yeah. Maybe I got to like dig a little bit for the information, went onto Reddit and I read things like, I like a girl, but she smokes weed or I liked a girl, but then I, I found out she smokes weed and now I think she's disgusting. So it was these men like saying all these negative things about women who use cannabis. And I just felt there are so many women out there that use cannabis that fit into kind of a persona that I am. So why don't I create something for them? So Women Who Weed was really built out of necessity. And what it is, is it's a community for pro-cannabis women where we can get together and participate in community events like book clubs and panels. We're really, um, we'll get into it a little bit more, but we're really playing around with different formats as we're building it. I love the tagline that you have on your own personal Instagram that you believe that weed is the new wine. Oh, yeah. And- I love that because it's like, why can't it be something that's classy and that professional women take part in? Why does it have to have the stigma around it? So I absolutely love what you're and doing. And like when that. I have a girls' night with my best friends, like we sit around the table and we share a joint. Like sometimes wine doesn't even come out, but we have great conversations. Like we just have a good time. Really that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good way to relax for sure. Yeah, a good way to relax. Absolutely. So you had this idea to start this community. You saw a need for it. How did you go about actually taking the steps to make it happen? Like, what was the very first thing that you did? I wanted to start a book club. It was like my 2019 goal. And I'm like, okay, well, what if I mix weed and books? Like, that's a great combination. We can talk about some trippy stuff. Let's go. <laughs> so then I made a meetup because I'm like, okay, I, might, I can't really convince my friends to do this. Like, <laughs> I'm always convincing them to do everything. So I'm like, okay, I'll get some new strangers, new friends. Post on meetup. And within 24 hours, 100 people join my meetup community. And I'm like, oh, shit. This has to be legit now. Like, I can't host this in my bedroom (laughs) or my house, like my tiny condo. Like, it's not a thing. So then I'd reached out to a local meditation studio and everything, all my event planning experience started coming to life again. It was reignited and I hosted my first legit event and people wanted more. So from that, we've kind of just been growing and iterating and testing. So how has the community kind of grown over this period of time and how has it evolved from that book club? Yeah, absolutely. I think a really big part of growing a community is making use of the tools that you have available to you. So Meetup, for example, it's people are on that platform because they genuinely want to meet new people. They want to find their community. That's what Meetups are all about. So 
and knowing that we're trying to create a community, not necessarily an event series. And that's something that maybe we can take a second to define like the difference is when you have a community, you're getting like two way dialogue with people, right? Like they're giving and you're taking from those individuals. Whereas with an event series, it's one way communication, right? You're speaking to them and they're learning and you're still like getting people together. But the community model is a little bit different. So first you needed to know like where these people were hanging out, which was on Meetup. And then it's consistency, right? So when you're growing something, you need to make sure that you're showing up, right? Like as an individual, like I need to be supporting my community because really my community is is like me right now, right? Like yeah, it's an I'm, extension of you. Yeah, sure. exactly. And going on social media, being consistent, and then actually like messaging people that had come out to your events and be like, hey, are you coming back? Or hey, are you going to be bringing a friend next time? Like really kind of putting it in there the ball in their court saying like, this is a community. And if you want this to continue being a community, like you have to do your part of making it grow and making it bigger. And that I found has worked really well for us. We've gotten incredible feedback and everything from kind of making it a little bit more open, but I had that flexibility because it's brand new. Yeah. That's so cool. So how do you go about actually doing that? Is this like, are you sending out an email post the event or are you actually reaching out individually to each person? Yeah. So at the end of every event, I usually kind of do a little speech. And a part of that speech is I just say like, this is a community. This is what a community means. And then I ask each individual why they came. And a lot of the reasons why they came is because they wanted new friends or because they didn't have any friends that smoke weed. Or, you know, some people don't even smoke weed, but they just wanted to read a book and join like the book club side of it. Right. So it's just interesting to hear why people come and then getting them to bring a friend next time we incentivize them for that. So we can give them five dollars off of their next ticket if they bring a friend. I love that. That's such a great way to kind of, like you said, incentivize people to do it. And then you're almost curating it in a way where like you saw that that person who came to that first event is like an awesome fit and they brought a great energy. Of course, it makes so much sense for them to bring a friend. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's kind of been happening through Fuck Up Nights as well. But you just gave me such a great idea. It's not something that we like purposely promote or have something intentional that we say, but I should totally integrate that. That's such a beautiful idea. And people... Like you even just got to think about it from their perspective, right? Like they paid to go to this event. They're like, okay, this might be a one of, but like reinforcing the fact that like this is a community and we're here for you. It triggers something a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's like, I try to kind of say that at my events as well, where I really let people know that, you know, like if you just kind of like came here, you grabbed some pizza, you grabbed the drink and you're just kind of listening to the talks, you're fucking up because the coolest part about this event series is actually the community of people that are here. And like, here's some examples of like some connections that were made. Yeah. Like there's like a fuck up nights couple that exists. There's so cute. There's like people who found co-founders and stuff. So I think kind of like positioning in, in, in that way and then getting people to also stand up if like you're an entrepreneur you have a side hustle and stuff that kind of like starts the conversation yeah making it more like participatory yeah what have been some of the challenges that you faced I know it's still a fairly new community but I think there's a lot of growing pains like right at the beginning are there any challenges that sort of jump to mind that you've been able to kind of overcome or that you're still dealing with I think a big challenge in the cannabis industry in general is marketing. So there's this Cannabis Act and anybody who sells cannabis is not allowed to promote it. But we're in this lucrative position where we don't sell any cannabis, but we're speaking to those licensed producers, target audience. So it's finding out ways to work with these brands and get sponsorships from them in a way that is legal for them and also benefits us as a business, right? Because when you're in business, you want 
to make money and have paid sponsorship deals. So that's kind of been like the biggest hurdle. And it's having a really strong lawyer who understands the regulatory system in your back pocket is like an invaluable asset. It makes such a difference. Like when I was able to get a lawyer and an advisor, it really helped me grow as well. And I kind of, I wish I did it from day one. I could have avoided some early mistakes that I made, but it's never too late to kind of engage somebody like that. And then in terms of your team, how do you bring these events to life? Do you have a volunteer team? Do you work closely with a co-founder? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a co-founder who's in the business with me as well. And right now it's it's a startup, right? It's very collaborative. We're figuring out like the business model. How are we going to grow? So you'd asked like, how have you grown so far? Like I was talking like individually, our chapter in Ottawa, but we want to grow across the country. Like the goal for Women Who Weed is to literally be like a household name in the cannabis industry. Because what we're doing is we're creating like offline experiences, in real life experiences for people to get to know one another. So that's really what we've been trying to come to terms with now is how can we get across the country? And luckily for us, there's individuals that are very interested in doing so. So those individuals will become an extension of our team. They're going to be the brand ambassadors for Women Who Weed in different cities across Canada and eventually across the United States. That's so cool. I love that. So I know it's not an easy thing to kind of scale a community through new cities and chapters, through Fuck Up Nights. I'm on the flip side of it where I run a chapter of this organization and I can see the challenges that kind of come from the HQ to actually like properly communicate to make sure that the brand is being properly used. And there's been definitely some missteps in the way that it happened. And I could see that the HQ organization is sort of learning and and trying to improve. Um, What advice do you have being in the trenches and just sort of starting to build this out? What are some things that have kind of worked for you or where you might have stumbled so far? Yeah, of course. It's all about hiring the right people, right? And we got to kind of look at this as like, although they're going to be volunteers or they're going to be community leaders in their own city, it's kind of like building a team and like an organization, right? So you need to make sure they have the right skill sets and that you're giving them the right training. You know, they really have a passion for cannabis, like what we're actually selling. So what we've done And I'm sure you've had something similar when you were going through onboarding for Fuck Up Nights as we've created a comprehensive onboarding document that starts with what are our values? Who is our target audience? What are the expectations that we have of you as a chapter leader? And then all the nitty gritty stuff, like how to host an event, how to create a run sheet, all the all the details. Yeah, you almost crowdsource some of that information as well. I saw on your Instagram, you did a poll specifically around like how to treat speakers and how to go about that. Yeah, something Pat Flynn says actually in his book, Superfans, is in order to even create and engage a community, you actually have to like ask them questions and, you know, get their input on things, right? It could be as simple as what product do you think we should sell first? And then maybe we put a story and on one side of the story, it's a tote bag. And on the other side, it's a T-shirt that says woman who weed. We get our audience to vote. And then that's the first piece of apparel that goes out to market because then they feel like a little bit more of a connection to it. They have like an affinity towards your brand. Absolutely. That's such a cool idea. Is that something that you kind of have in your vision as well? Like an e-commerce presence with a... Yeah, yeah. An e-commerce presence is definitely um, top of mind, but it's not our top priority right now. Like I mentioned, our business model is community and people focused. So we really want to build the community. And then how can we create products around what our community members need? Like, do they really need another t-shirt 
in their drawer or would they prefer to have like a stash bag that's like very elegantly branded like women yeah, who weed and it's classy so there's only so much things that two people can do at once right so once we do that then we're going to focus on the next revenue stream right for sure yeah I think this has been such a huge theme with this podcast so far with the guests that I've had just really being able to prioritize your time and like prioritize what's actually going to help you build your community like same thing with me as well like a lot of the time with a community that you're building the sky is the limit with an online component to it, the types of events that you could do, themes, collaborations, content, merch, like all the stuff. And it could get a little bit overwhelming sometimes if you're trying to do it all at once. So really amazing to hear that you guys are sort of prioritizing it and really focusing on actually building the community. Because I think a lot yeah. of people can get kind of distracted and, and get lost in all of that noise and all the exciting ideas that are kind of floating around. But Well, let me ask you, it. how much uh, autonomy do you have as a chapter leader for Fuck Up Night? And do you appreciate having that autonomy or do you have a lot of oversight and guidance from HQ? So I have a lot of autonomy. Really, it's like it's up to me to bring Fuck Up Nights to life in my city to really understand how it's going to work in Toronto, who are partners that are going to make sense for it, what speakers I feature. But then from HQ really comes like the brand and the guidelines for how the events should actually flow and what the format of the talks is. So that's been really helpful. Something like a piece of advice that I have for you or to anybody who's sort of working on scaling a community through different cities and chapters, really kind of make sure that you have your contracts for those chapter leads in place right from the beginning. I think a reason that Fuck Up Nights was able to grow so quickly to get to over 330 cities so quickly is because they didn't have a lot of process from the beginning and people were able to just kind of run with it. But then they had to go back and sort of make those contracts more formal. So when I joined as a chapter about three years ago, there was a really small contract that I signed where it was like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Like, this is how often you need to have an event. Here's what the brand looks like. And then they had to come back maybe like a year and a half later with a more thorough contract in place <laughs> and get all the chapters to sign it. And not everybody was super happy about it because it, it did take away a little bit of that autonomy. So I would really advise like having a lawyer from the start and not sort of changing your tune on that because it could definitely like turn some people off and kind of make your chapters feel not as appreciated or they're getting into something different than what they had signed up for. But that being said, I think everybody was kind of understanding that like, yeah, this actually makes sense. And this is what it sort of should have been from the beginning. Yeah. And the interesting thing, even in terms of contracts in the cannabis space is people are going to be smoking weed at these events, right? Like that's a big part of like what we do. We create elevated experiences. So Having a lawyer, having a contract is so important. Like we're not liable for anything that happens inside yeah. of a space or inside of like a workplace. So it's so important to be protected. And that's actually some advice that you gave me that I actioned on because oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's like there's a lot of things that you could do to sort of protect yourself, like having that lawyer in place. Like if you can't afford a lawyer, just, you know, finding somebody as an advisor or using a service where you can at least like get some templates to work off of, ask other communities that are doing something similar. And then also like really looking into insurance. I don't know how it would work specifically for the cannabis space, but I know for my events, for example, I serve alcohol and I get like alcohol liability insurance. So just kind of looking into that and just making sure that you're as protected as possible so that you can actually really just focus on building the community instead of being worried that yeah, you're, you're doing something that's in the wrong. Outside of that, is there any other advice that you have for somebody who's just trying to launch a community, whatever space or industry it's in? 
I think if you're trying to launch a community, you really got to look at what kind of needs are out there, right? Like a community essentially just connects a bunch of disconnected people with similar interests. And that's what kind of Seth Godin says in his book. He calls them tribes. So in order to kind of create your tribe, you really want to put yourself in their shoes, right? Or, you know, you're doing that research on your audience and your persona. Like, for example, you could go on to Google or Reddit, like what I did, and just kind of start typing in terms of like the community that you might want to build, right? Like it could be like cat lovers, Ottawa, (laughs) right? Cat lovers, Toronto. That's a good one. Right? Like there could be any, it's unimaginable. The amount of communities that could be built is unimaginable. And using tools, like I'd mentioned earlier, like Meetup, like that gives you direct access to the people that want to join these type of groups. So, you know, it doesn't need to start big. You don't need to have a crazy vision to have a community. It could be small. It could be intimate. It could be a group of friends that are all related on like one, something that you have in common. So for example, I have a group of friends and we're all marketers. And when we hang out, we don't talk about marketing, but it would be great And what we're doing is we're getting together monthly to just talk about marketing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a community there, right? Community has can be large. It can be small. Its definition is very uh, flexible. Very true. Yeah. I think like the key thing is just sort of starting, whether it's doing that first search for it and really seeing if there is a need, if it already exists, is there a better way to do it? Is there a unique angle that you bring to it? Mm -hmm. But I think it's, yeah, literally just going in and taking that first step to start. So shifting gears here a little bit, I want to chat about your personal community. So you've chosen Ottawa as the place to live and to kind of launch your community and for that to be the home base of everything that you do. What makes the city special to you? Yeah, there's an interesting charm to Ottawa because it's a government city, right? It is, yeah. People commute from the suburbs and they come in for their job. But there's people that are hungry for events. Unlike Toronto, we're not as cool as Toronto yet. Like we're like the less cool cousin, you know? So I was like, okay, well, how can we bring in some of that energy? Like I know there's women, intelligent, super cool women that like want this. So why can't I create it? Right. And learning from like different models and groups that are already happening in different parts of the world. I also love Ottawa personally because it's a smaller city than Toronto. I personally feel that it gives me the opportunity to really grow and shine and stand out within the community. I've gotten opportunities that I might not necessarily have gotten if I moved in Toronto because it's a lot more competitive. So to me, it means you don't necessarily need to go like chasing opportunities in better cities. You can create those same opportunities from you where you live if that's where you love to live. Absolutely. And then just being somebody who's actually like positively impacting your city and making it a more exciting and more inclusive place to be. And the beauty of the Internet, right, is that even if you're not physically there with them, you can be there with them digitally. Right. And how you communicate yourself, your brand, your personal brand. So for you, building your personal brand really goes hand in hand with building your community. Do you think that's usually the case? I mean, what are some pros and cons of this, do you think? Yeah, I think when you're building a community and you're mobilizing a group of people to kind of get behind a mission that you've created, it's so important that you're projecting that in your own personal brand and like who you are as a person. I'm creating with Women Who Weed, essentially it's a female empowerment community with like a cannabis twist, right? It's meant to be very inclusive. It's meant to be thought provoking and like I said, empowering. So those are like the kind of messages that I say on my own personal 
social media accounts or when I'm talking about on podcasts or during interviews that are really important to me. They're almost like woman who weed is like an extension of my values, right? It is, yeah. So I think having a personal brand as a community leader is like almost essential. Like people join communities to connect with people and it's so important that they know who's like leading this and that they're just as attached to the mission as they are as a community member. For sure. I think people want to see the person that's behind it. Like it literally gives your community a face and it gives them somebody to really relate to and kind of hang on to. Yeah. It was a similar thing for me, like with Fuck Up Nights, like I don't think I really had a personal brand when I started it. I started it with that first meetup. But then I just saw like people really wanted to know my personal story. Like, why did you start this? Where did you come from? And over time I got into it and I really focused on LinkedIn for myself and then Instagram as well. And I think it's important too, like for everyone starting a community to just know that you are interesting. You do have a story to share. Like this kind of goes back to the imposter thing. Like when I was running a community for entrepreneurs and I was an actual entrepreneur while I was running that, I felt like, wow, like what am I doing up here? Like talking to entrepreneurs when I'm not one, but I knew so much about entrepreneurship through these conversations, through working from entrepreneurs. So you can't underestimate what you know and you don't know. Another example, too, is I'm leading a cannabis community. And right now, cannabis is getting like pretty technical. Like people are really getting into the science behind it. And I'm yeah. not a scientist. So like sometimes I'm like, well, shit, like, should I really be running this like cannabis community? Like I just smoke weed and like empower women. Like, is that really legit? But yeah, of course, because in putting myself into that space and in that environment, like I know more than someone else. Right. Yeah. And like leading fucked up nights, like, you know, more about community building than someone who doesn't. Right. Like, for sure. Yeah. So, And you don't have to know everything. Like, I think there's power in being vulnerable and and really just being there with your community and say, you know what, like, I'm fascinated in this as well. Like the science behind it, I don't know all the answers, but I'm here to sort of facilitate this conversation and to kind of learn with you about it. Totally. Learn with with that. I love that. Like, it's all about learning with your community, too. So for some context, like I post a lot about cannabis on my personal Instagram and If I learn something that day, like I'm putting my face in front of the camera and I'm like, this is what I learned about weed today, people. And people appreciate that (laughs) because sometimes when you get too in the weeds and you get too technical, people are like, oh my God, there she goes again, like talking about a terpene, you know, (laughs) and I won't get into that right now. So I think it's, I think it's important to find your balance and like never lose sight of like who you are. I'm more of a chill, like trying to, I'm trying to make friends here, right? Like, and educate people in the process. And I don't want to become too sciencey because I feel like that's what society's telling me I need to do. And yeah, for sure. Like you just like, you wouldn't be as approachable. Yeah. I don't think your community would have that same sort of, it feels like open from what I've seen. And it looks like, like anybody could belong and you don't have to be an expert or you don't even have to be a cannabis user like it it seems like it draws a lot of people and I think you being the personal brand behind it is really like such a huge part of it thank you thank you so how can somebody overcome some of those mental blocks like if they're introverted if they feel like maybe they're not the domain expert what can somebody do to kind of overcome that I know that was something that I kind of had to overcome as well like feeling like maybe this is going to feel too self-promotional like yeah. is this annoying so yeah. those those things are called limiting beliefs that we have on ourselves, and it's actually interesting a mentor of mine just had a conversation with me on limiting beliefs as well his name is Fahad Alhatab, and he had said like the very first step 
to overcome your limiting beliefs is realizing that they are limiting beliefs. So like, what is holding me back? Like, am I an introverted? Like, write that down. And then the next step is to figure out like what triggers those feelings of that limiting belief. So for example, if, you know, like I'm introverted, I know every single time I step on stage to do public speaking, I'm going to like feel like I'm getting imposter syndrome and I don't belong there and it like has a downward spiral. And then he had mentioned that once you've identified like what your triggers are, have like a mental check-in with yourself and like kind of have like a little like calling card that you like always can go back to that says I can believe in it or I'm good at this because for whatever your limiting belief is. So I thought that was interesting and it's like adding like a process to how to overcome your fears because that's all they are, right? They're limiting beliefs. Like we're our own worst enemies sometimes, especially women. Yeah, absolutely. Like even when it comes to like applying for a job, like I know as a woman, you look at the job description and it's like, okay, like I didn't meet a hundred percent of these qualifications. I'm not right for it. I'm not even going to apply. Whereas like somebody else, like not even just a guy, like maybe somebody who's more seasoned in their career there, they see that like this could be a good fit and maybe they meet like 70% of it, but they still go for it. So I think it's the same thing with this, that same concept of just like, Jumping in and yeah. starting and seeing where it takes you. And I think like to do anything remarkable, you have to like leave your old self behind. You have to do something that's outside of your comfort zone or else it's just going to be status quo. You're not going to be doing anything different than anyone else. So true. Yeah. I think you just have to start and you have to do something and see where it takes you. Yeah. So what communities are you part of? I know you mentioned um, that group of ladies where you're all in marketing. Are there any others and why are they particularly meaningful to you? I'm a part of Creative Mornings. I like to attend those events. I think everyone loves a Creative the Morning event yeah. if you've been to one. I have. I love Creative Mornings as well. And really my big focus right now is kind of building the cannabis community. So that's really what I'm a part of. So just learning more about those type of events, what's happening, reaching out to people in thought leadership positions in the industry and kind of having coffees. Like I'm really trying to get deep into kind of one vertical instead of kind of going like horizontally with a bunch of different communities. I'm trying to develop like a specialty in like a niche. And then in terms of your close friends and the people that you surround yourself with, how do you choose those people? Are there any specific qualities that you look for that kind of draw you to someone? I love that question. I think it's so important to hang out with people that make you feel good, right? Yeah. Hang out with people that congratulate you when you've done something you're proud of or someone that, you know, asks, how did that go after you've done something that's really important to you? And that going both ways, right? I think right now, also when you're in your early twenties, I personally am really focused on like my career development and, you know, setting myself up for the future. And that takes up a lot of my time. I work a lot and I love it. So the time that I do have that I spend with friends, I want it to be with friends that I like love, right? Yeah, Yeah, people that you love, exactly. Cheer you on for sure. And then meeting new people. Like that's another thing too. Like you also schedule at time. Like I go out for probably three coffees with new people a week, just trying to, you know, build out my network, ask good questions, learn from their experience. I'm someone who loves to like learn from other people's experiences. So the best way for me to do that is just through conversations like this. Yeah. 
absolutely. Like, I think for me, like, that's been probably the most rewarding part of actually building a community and becoming a sort of a connector myself. Just the types of people that I meet through my events, like whether it's my speakers, like get really close with some of them because we have a lot in common and sort of like for them to share their story with me. And then at my event that kind of it really creates this bond where we get to know each other on that level. And then people that come out to the events, some of the partners that are there, it's really opened a lot of doors and kind of really helped my network really take on a different form and to be able to meet incredible people that there's no way that our paths would have crossed before and we wouldn't have that opportunity to sort of forge that connections. I think such an underrated part of actually building a community because it it kind of it helps you build your own community alongside it. Absolutely. So my last question for you and I ask this of every guest on the podcast what does community mean to you? To me Community means finding your people. It's not fitting in. It's like actually belonging. And I don't know if you've listened to Brene Brown's TED Talk. It's incredible. And she talks a lot about belonging and, you know, like fitting in is like being in a group and, you know, not really feeling like you belong there. Whereas like belonging is like, these are my people. I think community is like creating those environments where you can find your people. Yeah, because like fitting in, it it means like shaping yourself to fit into whatever that group is and not truly being yourself. But belonging is really bringing your true self to that group. I had such a great time chatting with Reagan, and I hope that you learned as much as I did from this episode. You can find Reagan and her community on Instagram at it's Reagan Bradley and at women who weed. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House, and Twitter at Origins Media.